Let's start with a question here, and I want you to talk back to me. And this is not rhetorical. I need you to talk to me. What are the places in your life, the circumstances that you find yourself in, the places you go or wherever, that you know for sure, without a doubt, you're going to have to do some waiting? Places in your life where you go, circumstances you find yourself in, where you know for sure, without a doubt, you're going to have to do some waiting. Talk to me now. What? The 401. <laughs> We're just going to pray and close. That's, uh, that's it. That's the message this morning. Ryan, this, this, I, hate, I hate waiting on this. The gym people, you guys might, might, might like, like this or know this, but when somebody's curling in the squat rack, it's like, dude, stop curling in the squat rack. You don't need... People squat in the squat rack. The people that go to the gym, you know that drill, and the people that don't, you're like, what is he talking about? What other places where you know you're going to have to wait? Talk to me. Service Ontario. (laughs) Peter, did you say something? Emergency. Someone said that in the first service, too. That's always good, isn't it? It's like you're bleeding out, and they're going, you know what, sir, have a seat, you know. What else? Where where else you got to wait? Huh? The, yeah, the airport, the airport, security and check-in, man, oh man, there are places that we have to wait all the time. There's no getting around it, no way to avoid it. You're going to have to wait. Did you guys ever hear Seinfeld's bit about uh, waiting in the doctor's office? You ever hear that waiting room? It says you show up to the doctor's office and they have one room that's just totally designated for waiting. That's all you're going to do in that room. It's called the waiting room. That's my Seinfeld. What about when you're on the phone, you, you, have a, you place a service call? I placed a service call this week, and you get this. Your call is important to us. Please remain on the line, and the next available representative will be with you shortly. My call is not important to you. Don't lie to me. Like, I know pre-recorded voice that my call is not important to you. Waiting is the worst, man. Waiting is just the worst. So there's scientists out there, it's interesting, that could be researching cures for cancer, and they are paid to invent ways to help us avoid waiting. Did you know that? And these people have invented some great stuff. We've got fast food, instant credit. We've got tap to pay. No more lines at Disneyland. You can get a fast pass. No more lines at the airport, as a matter of fact. You can check in online, get your Nexus card, upgrade to business class, all to avoid the wait. Even on service calls now, like I was talking about a minute ago, I was on a service call this, this last week, and they said that they would call me back when my turn came up. Have you guys done that thing before? And you enter your phone number, and you hang up the phone, go do whatever you want, and then like 30 minutes later, they call you back, and there you are. You don't even have to Wait. And though our innovations and attempts to avoid waiting at all costs are staggering, I can still tell you that no matter who you are, where you're from, what your lifestyle is, or what you do for a living, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. There are times in your life where you're not going to get what you need, want, or desire. Immediately, you're going to have to wait. In fact, I read a study this week on waiting. I can't believe that people actually do studies on waiting, but they do. And the study estimates that, that uh, the average person will spend one to two years of their life waiting in lines. Can you believe that? One to two years of your life. That is discouraging. So not only do we have to wait, apparently we've got to wait a lot. 
And that's really what Psalm 40 is all about. It's, it's, it's all about waiting. And because it's all about waiting, I, I want to start this morning with just a little bit of research that I did this week and a little bit of personal reflection to kind of help me understand why it is that we hate to wait. I wanted to try to get at the heart of why we, we hate to wait, and I've narrowed it down to kind of four reasons, again, based on research and personal reflection, four reasons why we hate to wait. And the first reason we hate to wait comes in the form of a question. We ask ourselves this, is it worth it? Is it worth the wait? And that it is really anything that you might be waiting for. You might be waiting for a job. You might be waiting for a table at a restaurant. You might be waiting for a, for a phone call from a friend, and while we wait, we ask ourselves, is it worth it? Whatever that it is, is it going to be worth it at the end of this wait? And countless studies on waiting affirm what we already know, that, that our willingness to wait is directly correlated to or connected to the perceived value of what it is we're waiting for. So we ask ourselves, in the end, when all this waiting is over, will it be worth the wait? The second reason we hate to wait is because we feel like waiting is a waste. We feel like waiting is a waste. We feel unproductive. We feel useless. We feel like there are a thousand other things that we could be doing, but now we have to wait. And did you know that really good companies, the smartest companies in the world, try to create waiting environments that make you feel like you're actually being productive? Did you know that? That's why doctor's offices give you magazines. That's why when you go wait for a table at a restaurant, they give you a menu while you're still in the lobby because you feel productive. That's why the lines at Disneyland and theme parks, the good ones anyway, feel like an experience in and of themselves because they trick you into thinking you're not waiting. You're waiting. But they trick you into thinking and you're not. You're like, ooh, an, an animatronic pirate that's going like this, you know. And like parents will stand in line with their kids for hours at a time to go on like a two-minute ride at Disneyland because they trick you into thinking that you're being productive. You're not. Now, this, this next one can make waiting particularly excruciating. It's a reason why we hate to wait. When others don't wait, when we have to wait and others don't wait, that makes waiting uh, particularly hard because we think to ourselves, if I have to wait, you should have to wait too. Now, you might not think that you're as selfish as I am, but you are. Let me prove it to you. When you are on the 401 and traffic is stopped and everybody is waiting, and some scalawag, some rapscallion, some so-and-so creeps out into that lane that is designated for entrance and exits onto the freeway. And this scalawag is neither entering nor exiting the freeway, but he bypasses like 15 cars and then tries to edge his way back in because he doesn't want to wait. How does that make you feel? Not good, right? And do you do the same thing that I do? When you see that guy try to pull that garbage... Do you edge yourself out into the lane too? I do that. If that's ever happened to you and someone in a white Camry has edged their way out into the lane to block you, that's me. <laughs> you know why? Because Micah 6.8 says to do justice. <laughs> and I want to do justice by making you wait because I think you need to wait too. Number four is related to number three. Don't you hate it when others cause your wait? When someone else is the reason why you are waiting. I was at Walmart last week uh, buying 
Kleenex and cold medicine. It's a kind of week it's been in my house, by the way. Buying Kleenex and cold medicine. And if you're at Walmart and you get Kleenex and cold medicine, where do you go to check out? You go to the express line, right? Express line. So I get into the express line, and there's a woman in front of me that clearly had more than 12 items. And there was only one cashier, so I had to wait. And I wanted to give you a little glimpse into my heart, into who I am. So I'll tell you what I did while I waited. I counted every one of her items. <laughs> not out loud. Not out loud. I should have, Marilyn. I should have. Seven, eight, nine. This woman had 44 items. Ooh, that's right. Ooh is right. I should have counted out loud. And then, and then it came time to pay. She's searching through her purse. And literally, she says this, I can't find my wallet. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Like, I almost bought her groceries. Just go. Just please. I need Kleenex and cold medicine. That's it. Man, you're stocking up to feed an army here. It was horrible. When other people are the reason that you're waiting, that's the worst. Now, Look up here on the screen. I did not do this just for kicks and giggles and make us laugh this morning. Because here's the thing. All of us have to wait on God, too. All of us have to wait on God. The New Testament says that for God, a day is like a thousand years. Very discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> when you're waiting on him. And a thousand years is like a day. And when we're waiting on God to do whatever it is that you're waiting on God to do, do you know that this is the stuff that makes it hard? Even when we're waiting on God, these are the things that make waiting on him challenging. We ask ourselves, will it be worth it? God's plan, God's goals, God's desires, are they going to be worth the wait? Or we feel like our time, energy, and talents, even our lives are being wasted while we wait. We think, I'm not getting anywhere. Why am I waiting? Let's get on with it. This is a waste. Have you ever been waiting on God and someone else didn't have to? Maybe you're single and you're waiting on God and all your friends are getting married. Maybe you're waiting on a promotion and all your friends seem to be getting new opportunities, more and more opportunity. Maybe you're waiting to get pregnant and all your friends are having children. And not only are they having children, they come to you, hey, we just found out it's twins. It's, oh my gosh. And here you are still waiting. During our uh, adoption process for the first time with, with Kaya, Amy and I did a lot of waiting. We did a ton of waiting. We did almost two years of waiting. And there were times when we felt like the waiting was over, and then we hit another hurdle, and we hit another challenge, and there was more waiting and more waiting and more waiting. And in the middle of that two-year process, my brother and his wife decided that they wanted to adopt, and so they began their process, and then they adopted a baby. You know how long their process took? Seven weeks. Seven weeks. I'm not kidding. From the first piece of paperwork that they filled out to the day they took their little girl home, it was seven weeks. And, and they already had four biological boys. And now they're adopting a little girl. I mean, like, you're, what are you trying to field a basketball team? Like, what's going on here? And, like, I struggled on that one, right? Like, why do, why do I have to wait when others don't have to? Why am I still waiting? I remember calling my brother that day when they brought that little girl home. Her name is Lainey. She's just wonderful. We love her so much. But it was an awkward phone call. I said congratulations, and I meant it because I love her so much, and I love my brother and his wife so much. And I was glad his wait was over, but I wanted my wait to be over too. And he knew it. My brother loves me very much, and he felt my pain. He, he knows what it's like to wait on God. I felt like he was going to offer me one of his boys just to take the edge off, you know. <laughs> 
Or what about when others cause your weight? Have you ever been waiting on God to bring about his plan and it feels like someone else's sin or stupidity is getting in the way? And it's more than just 44 items at the express lane, isn't it? It could be an arrogant boss or a dysfunctional family member. It could be an apathetic friend. And if they would just get their act together, we wouldn't have to wait anymore. Now, here's the thing. David, the author of Psalm 40 and waiting, they were really good friends. They, they knew one another intimately. They were cozy because from the time David was anointed king till he finally ascended the throne in Israel, he had to wait more than 20 years. And throughout Samuel and the Psalms, the Bible affirms that David asked himself over and over, is it worth it? And he felt like his waiting was a waste. And while he was waiting, others were not. And a lot of times, he, he wasn't the reason for his wait. Others were the reason for his wait. And then when all his waiting was over, he finally ascended the throne in Israel, and it seemed again that all his waiting was over. His son Absalom staged a coup. David was forced out of Jerusalem, and there he was again, just waiting on God. So when David records his thoughts on waiting in Psalm 40, understand that there is a treasury of wisdom here. David knew what it meant to wait well, to make the most of his waiting. And because we are all waiting on God for something, because all of us have to wait, I just want to grab four principles from Psalm 40 this morning, just four, that might help us make the most of our waiting. As we're kind of waiting for God to open doors, what do we do in the hallway? How do we make the most of the hallway? How do we wait well? That's really what Psalm 40 is all about. So let's start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope that you do, David writes this in Psalm 40, verse 1. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Stop there. Now, this sounds really good, doesn't it? I waited patiently for the Lord. We picture David, calm, cool, and collected, trusting in God's sovereignty, free from anxiety, simply leaning on God while he waits. But that's not exactly the sentiment that Psalm 40, verse 1, is affirming here. I want you to listen close. In the original language, in the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament of your Bible, is written in Hebrew, that word waiting is kavah, and David actually repeats it. He says, kavah, kavah. He says, I, I, I double waited. I, I waited, and while I was waiting, I, I waited some more. The message version of the Bible actually gets this translation maybe a little bit closer to kind of the heart of what David's saying here. The message says it this way, I waited and waited and waited for God. This is not a statement of peace and stillness. This is not rainbows and unicorns here. David's tired. He's grown weary. His waiting has gotten old. David tells us here what we already know, that waiting is hard. As the great theologian Tom Petty once put it, the waiting is the hardest part. Now, I didn't put this in here just so I could sneak Tom Petty into the sermon this morning, okay? Just in case you were wondering. I did it because it's critical and because this is what David is communicating here. Because we tend to church this up for people who are waiting on God, don't we? We tend to sugarcoat it a little bit. We tend to say, you know, kind of spiritual platitudes, just, hey, just trust God. He's good. Yeah, he's good. But waiting is still hard. 
Waiting is hard. Our friend Scott McIntyre has led worship here a couple times. Great guy. He's been waiting for a kidney twice. Received it twice. But you think that waiting was easy? Of course not. Some of you are waiting on a diagnosis. That's not an easy wait. Some of you are waiting to find out whether the treatment that the docs have you undergoing right now is going to actually correct the diagnosis. That's a hard wait. Some of you are waiting to meet that person that you're going to marry. Some of you are waiting on God to heal you physically and emotionally. And we tell people, just trust God. He's good. Yes, trust him. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's sovereign. But when we fail to acknowledge this, that waiting is hard, we disregard people's pain. And we need to follow David's example here. So let's not pretend that waiting is easy. I love, love, love that David gives us permission in Psalm 40, verse 1, just to stop pretending. We don't have to to pretend that it's easy to wait on God. And once we stop pretending, we can learn some critical stuff in the midst of our waiting. Like, for instance, waiting catalyzes communication. Waiting catalyzes communication. It stokes the fire of dialogue between you and God. It drives you to relationship with him when you're waiting on him. Look at the relational language that David uses in Psalm 40. It's the second half of verse 1 now. David says that God inclined to him and heard his cry. That word inclined in, in the original language can be, can be translated stretch out or even bend down. So he's not saying that God inclined, but inclined his ear to him. So David is saying to us that God is listening and he listened to him, but he had to bend down in order to do it. So I, I think of when my little girl is talking to me. She's almost two years old. She turns two uh, in a week, actually. And most of the time when she's talking to me, I got no idea what she's saying. Like 98% of what, I I have no idea. Like I know daddy and waffle. And like I get those mixed up sometimes too, you know. Like I I don't know what she's saying. But when she's talking to me, you better believe that the first thing I do is bend down and get right up to her face and say, what do you, tell me, babe, talk to me. I bend down, I incline my ear to listen to her. Doesn't matter what she's saying. This is what David is communicating here. This is tender relational language. But it's not just that God listens to us while we wait. Not God, not, David's not just saying, I waited and waited and waited for God. He inclined his ear to me. But he also tells us that we tend to do a better job listening as well while we wait on God. Look at, look at verse 6, actually. David writes this. He says, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Again, great church language. You have given me an open ear. The actual Hebrew idiom here is, you dug out ear holes for me. Yikes, right? That one stings a little bit. But we need that sometimes, right? We need God to get a little assertive with us. We're not always great listeners, are we? So sometimes in the midst of our waiting, we need God to dig out ear holes for us. And he does that while we wait. You might ask yourself, how? How does God do that? How does waiting 
cause us to talk to God and to listen to him? How does waiting catalyze communication? Let me illustrate for you. Amy and I end nearly every day the same way. Seriously, it's almost every day. Uh, We lay in bed and we watch TV shows on my computer. I know it's very spiritual, isn't it? Very spiritual. This is after we've prayed for hours. Not really. We do pray, but we'd love to watch TV shows. And usually we watch two. Amy's committed to two. Three is too many. That will, you know, I I, want to go to bed. I need to get sleep. One is not enough. So that leaves us with how many? Two. So let's just set the context here. My wife loves TV shows. We have our favorites, but she'll watch almost anything. But more than that, Amy loves that time with me. We just hang. We hold hands. We enjoy each other's company. It's great. So a couple weeks ago, I came home, and we ended that day the way we end almost every other day. We laid in bed, watched TV shows, and we watched one. And then I turned to my wife, and I said, I'm sorry, but I failed to download any more shows. So that's all we've got. Like, that's, that's all we can watch because I don't have any more. My wife uh, looked at me with the unique combination of anger, grief, and disappointment in her eyes. And she said to me, and I quote, what are we going to do now? Just talk? And I found out that night that our couch is a lot more comfortable than I thought, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny to me that we, when we have no shows to watch, no phones to fiddle with, no magazines to read, all we have to do is wait. We start to talk to one another, don't we? Same goes for God. So when you're waiting, talk to him. And don't just talk to him about what you're waiting for. Don't just go to God and go, I'm still waiting. He knows. He's God. Talk to him about your day. Talk to him about your hopes and dreams. Talk to him about your fears. Talk to him about anything. God would say to you what I would say to my wife. Yes, that's a great idea. Let's just talk. I would love that, just to talk to you. And listen to him, too. Don't just talk. Listen through his word. Listen through biblical preaching. Listen through prayer. And you'll find that your waiting catalyzes communication. And that communication will foster a relationship with God that grows every day. Three, how to wait well. Waiting forms your foundation. Waiting forms your foundation. Look what David says in verse 2. It's great. David writes this, he says, he drew me up, God drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. I'll read it again. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog or the translation that they just sang over us, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Now, this particular verse is fascinating, especially in light of verse 12. Verse 12 isn't on the screen. I'm going to read it for you or check it out in your Bibles if you have them open. Listen to what David says in verse 12. He says that evils have encompassed him beyond number and his iniquities have overtaken him so much that I cannot see, he said. They are more than the hairs on my head. He even tells us my heart fails me. So, so notice here that in verse 2, when David is talking about waiting, he does not indicate that God changed his circumstances after a long wait. Because according to verse 12, his enemies are still there. His iniquities internally are 
still there. His heart still fails him. So rather than coming, becoming dependent on circumstances or outcomes, David becomes dependent on God in the midst of his waiting. So when David recognized that he was not in control, only then was God able to lift David up beyond circumstances and set his feet firmly and establish his steps on a rock that doesn't move. Same goes for us. Now listen very, very closely, because I think this is critical if you're waiting on God for something. When you realize, when you recognize, when you are settled with the fact that you cannot accelerate circumstances, that you cannot bring about a desired outcome any quicker, indeed, you cannot bring about the desired outcome at all. Then all of the sudden, you realize that the desired outcome of the circumstances is a really shaky foundation, isn't it? Like, if you can't bring it about at all, much less bring it about any faster, that's a really shaky foundation. Because circumstances shift and change. The only thing that does not change is God. So in the midst of our waiting, God is able to lift our feet beyond the precarious steps of circumstances and set our lives on the only firm foundation, a good and sovereign God. Finally, and we'll end here this morning, we'll end here. Waiting inspires worship. Waiting inspires worship. Look what David says in verse 3. He says that he, that's God, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He caused me to sing praise. He caused me to sing worship. He caused me to sing something new to God. Now, I've said this before, and, and, and I'll say it again, but when I study the Bible and when I uh, prepare to preach, I, I'm doing it for me. I love you, but I'm doing it for me. Because first and foremost, I'd like to be changed and molded and shifted and and. and conform to the likeness of Christ. And then I come up here on a Sunday morning and I talk about it and I hope it's helpful and I hope it's encouraging and I hope that you're formed and changed into the likeness of Christ, but, but it's for me. And so as I studied Psalm 40 this week, especially since Amy and I currently are in a time of waiting ourselves, I'll talk about that here in a minute. This particular part of Psalm 40 was especially instructive and especially encouraging for me. That in the midst of my waiting, God moves me to worship him. He, just like he did for David, can put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now, I want to explain this. If you read all of Psalm 40... All of Psalm 40 is simply a reflection of that praise, a reflection of that worship. It's, it's a reflection of the worship that God inspired while David was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on God. It's, it's just a song about all the things that God is and all the things he has done during that waiting. So I began to wonder this week, what is it about waiting on God that causes us to sing a new song? What is it about waiting on God that causes us to sing praise to him with renewed vigor and passion? Now listen to this, because I, I, I think this is why. If I never have to wait, let's, let's, just, let's just hypothetically speaking say, I never have to wait on anything ever in my life ever again. 
I never have to wait on job. I never have to wait on money. I never have to wait on relationship. I never have to wait on, you know, abs. I don't have to wait on anything. I can get everything immediately. What I might do, what I would likely do, is learn to delight in outcomes. You understand? I might learn to focus on results. I might begin to fashion my life in such a way that I succeed and achieve and just acquire and move and get that next thing because I never have to wait on anything. I might learn to hope in or find hope in what I can acquire rather than finding hope in God. But when I wait... I am forced to find delight and gratification outside of circumstances and outcomes because I don't have that outcome. I have to wait on it. And this delayed gratification motivates me to find gratification in Jesus, to delight in him and not achievement, acquisition, or success. And listen, (laughs) that's all worship is. It's just delighting in God above all else. That's all worship is. This is what David is saying. He's saying, when, when you can't find delight in other things, when you can't find that thing, contentment or whatever it is in other things, when you've got to wait on the outcome, you learn to find delight in the only one for whom there is never a wait. And that waiting inspires worship. And as a result, God will give you a new song of praise if you wait well. Amy and I are in a a time of waiting ourselves right now. Uh, We had waited a very long time to adopt uh, Kaya's biological sister. That adoption failed a couple weeks ago. Birth mom changed her mind, had the baby, changed her mind, decided to parent the child. We love birth mom and birth dad. It was their choice, and, and we love them and support them and continue our relationship with them, but it hurt, and it was very disappointing. So we waited two years to adopt Kaya, and then we waited a long time to adopt seven, eight months, whatever it was, to adopt this little one. And now we're waiting again, waiting on God to match us with a new birth family, waiting on uh, next steps and clarity from him. We're waiting. I wanted to conclude with a, with a question for you. I, my guess is that most of you, maybe, maybe a couple of you, but most of you are not waiting on an adoption, but you're waiting on something. Here's my question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Not, what are you waiting for? Go after it. But, but what is it that you're waiting on God for right now? Would you just bow your head and close your eyes if you would? Because I want to kind of conclude here with, with an exercise. The band's going to come back up and lead us shortly. And I would love it if just kind of mentally right now you could, you could maybe name that thing. Put your finger on that thing. Identify that thing. What is it that you're waiting for? You might be waiting to turn 18. You might be waiting to meet your spouse. Maybe you've already met your spouse and you're waiting on that guy to propose. Maybe you're already engaged and you're waiting to get married. Maybe you're waiting on or waiting to have children. Maybe you're waiting on the results of a test. Maybe you're waiting on an organ transplant. We've had people in our congregation that were waiting on an organ transplant in the past. Maybe you're waiting on a new job. Maybe you're waiting on God to heal you physically or emotionally. Maybe you're waiting on a friend or family member to kind of get their act together and get with the program. What 
are you waiting for? We do all kinds of things while we wait. We, we complain. We get persnickety. We check our phone, try to distract ourselves. I don't know about you, but the primary thing I do while I wait is to check how much longer it's going to be. <laughs> I'm at a restaurant going up to the hostess stand. I told you 10 minutes, sir. Yeah, but it's been eight. How long am I going to wait? We do that with God too, don't we? Say, God, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? I'm going to invite you to do something now that we've named it. Now that mentally you've identified, put your finger on that thing you're waiting for. I want to invite you to do something different. I invite you to ask God this question. God, what are you teaching me while I wait? What are you teaching me while I wait? God, is this waiting meant to catalyze communication? You want me to talk to you more and listen to you more? Are you allowing me or causing me even to wait so that I would build my life on a stronger and more solid foundation than just circumstances and outcomes? God, is it your desire that this waiting would inspire me to worship you more? What are you teaching me in the midst of my waiting? I'll let you just sit with that question with the Lord for a few moments, and then we're going to transition back into singing together. As we conclude our time of worship this morning, we're going to come to the communion table together. We're going to celebrate uh, the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. We're going to uh, partake of two elements, a little cup of juice and a little bit of bread that represent the body of Christ given for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. We're going to sing while we do that and praise God. My prayer is that in the midst of your waiting, you'd find that God puts a new song of praise in your mouth and teaches you to worship him even more. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you've said yes to Jesus and come to him in repentance and faith, even if you don't call this place, maybe you've gone home, we practice what's called open table here, so communion is open to anyone who would like to partake and receive. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're a spiritual seeker and kind of investigating the things of God, I would invite you to pass on this part of the service. Just pass the plate on by you. Continue to reflect and sing. Uh, but for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, this is our opportunity to celebrate and remember the great lengths that God has gone to in order to redeem us and rescue us and forgive us. And we're going to celebrate that together. So I would invite you as the ushers uh, pass out the elements just to take a little piece of bread and a little cup. Hang on to them. We'll receive them together as a body, as a family here momentarily. And as we prepare our hearts, as we confess known sin and enjoy God's forgiveness, not earn it, just enjoy it and receive it. The band's gonna play a song that I've actually come to love here in these last couple of months called King of My Heart. I pray that uh, just as they sing, you would get kind of familiar with the melody because we're going to uh, stand and sing it together after we receive communion. I invite you to remain seated now. Ushers, you can come forward. Hang on to those elements, and we'll take them together shortly.